to Soundboard, the Steinway & Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. I'm your host, Ben Finan, Editor-in-Chief at Steinway & Sons and for the online music magazine, listenmusicculture.com. My guest today is pianist, composer, arranger, and producer, Peter Bentz. His piano covers of pop songs have millions of views on YouTube, and he recently released his debut album of covers and originals, The Awesome Piano available wherever you stream your music on the Steinway & Sons label. Bence spoke to me on Zencaster. How are you doing over there? How's your corona life? Pretty good. Some of the usual stuff, of course. You know, I, I get to spend some time with my family and my dog. I get to cook a lot, which is one of my favorite hobbies or things to do besides music. And of course, I get to create, which is amazing. Actually, I'm really grateful. I, we should be grateful to, to be doing what we love to do. Let's jump right into it and talk about some of that creating that you've been doing. What I really love about your sound, both on your originals and your covers, is it's so clean and it's so precise. But at the same time, it doesn't sound sterile. It doesn't sound cold. There's so much warmth in your playing. And there's this emotional affecting use of dynamics. And that comes through for me, both in your covers and in your originals. Let's start with the covers first. Your first album is out now on the Steinway & Sons label. It's called The Awesome Piano. It's streaming wherever you purchase your streaming music. When I hear about someone doing piano cover pop songs, <laughs> I get nervous. I immediately get nervous because my fear is that I'm going to come away from a piano cover saying, oh, okay, this just makes me want to go hear the actual song. I want to learn something new. And that's what I love about your covers is because they're proper arrangements. They're not trying to be literal transcriptions. You don't fall down that trap and they're just full of inventiveness and originality. So I guess my first question is when you sit down to do a cover of a pop song, what's the approach? What are your priorities? First of all, thank you for saying this. And, uh, and of course, you know, what would be the point of just copying music and literally transcribing something? I mean, there's no, no real value to it besides you hear it on some instruments. But if, if there's no some level of original ideas involved, I, I think there's really no point of doing uh, such things. I know it sounds harsh, but if you think about it, you're right. Because you, if you listen to a different version of a song, of course, is because maybe you like the original song and, and you're a fan of the original music itself, but you want to experience something else because you've already heard that song before. You can go to the concerts, uh, you can go to Toto concert and hear Africa, uh, you know, as the encore and rocking out to Africa. That's uh, really amazing on all levels. But uh, the only point of doing covers, uh, for me at least, is to, of course, keep the characteristics of the original song. I don't want to rewrite the thing I don't feel it's appropriate and I think I need to have that sort of uh, respect to the original work uh, to, to follow uh, the main characteristics but I think everything beyond it like as you talk about the arrangement I think it has to be um, something more original first of all for me the most important thing is that I really 
have to like the song. Like I have to be in love with a song. And that's how, you know, the, the covers of Michael Jackson came about. When I, I was much younger, uh, I had very different uh, musical tastes. Like when I, I think when I was around seven, I would only listen to classical music. So it was really huge step for me. And it's kind of like a, a progress that uh, it's interesting to see how I, uh, you know, uh, became much more open to 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 a lot of uh, genres and everything and so michael jackson was for me the first like i a real huge eye opener and i was just so impressed by a lot of things uh, he did you've done a lot of michael jackson covers what was it about his music that drew you in it's really hard to describe but i think it has to do something with something that is rooted deep inside of all of us something about rhythm like something that connects on a much deeper level mostly the 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 rhythm and just how he uh, manifests music with his singing and dancing and and beatboxing and everything is just combined into one package that was just so mind-blowing for me and i wanted to to recreate that energy and and rhythm on the piano and it was really challenging and i think the cover for bed i worked on it for over a year possibly i mean not like 24 7 but uh usually what happens is i complete 90 percent of the song in five minutes and i uh, i polish the the rest for like i don't know months the, the the remaining 10 percent it's like a it's really hard to to let go of something and finally you know finish it and say okay this is uh done um and it, and it was the same with the album actually you know if if i would listen to something now like i would say oh i wish i had more time to work on this and that. let's talk about bad since you brought it up to me, Bad isn't even on my top 20 of Michael Jackson songs, but you drew me into this piece, I think because of the way you brought in uh, very sensitively and very affectingly a piece of Smooth Criminal. Mm-hmm. I really like the way that organically fits in. And again, you break another rule there, which is, oh no, pop medleys. But again, it's successful because I think of the sensitive way that you bring in that material. Also, I think uh, I, I didn't want to opt for the, the very obvious choices, which would be Billie Jean or Thriller. Mm-hmm. But also, like it's good that you brought up this point because it's actually my second, uh, I don't know, rule or whatever, that it has to be translated to piano really well. So if I would imagine something, should I do a cover or not? The main question is, how would it sound on a piano? And I think bed was a perfect choice in terms of, you know, the bass lines, the rhythm, the chords, the, the melody. You can get everything into a solo piano piece. So that's a huge point. 
how can you arrange a specific song to the instrument. The other Michael Jackson track on this album is Beat It. And there you have a really fun use of extended technique to capture all these different textures throughout the song. I'm thinking of the the fuzzy tone on the Eddie Van Halen solo or the use of plucked strings to get that sort of bong, bong bass. And then, of course, the, the iconic drum beat is there, which is, I presume, you playing with your hands uh, on parts of the piano. Yeah, yeah. That's why actually it's the whole concept of the the album, uh, which I I call the awesome piano concept, which is that everything you hear from A to Z is like it's it's 100 percent piano sounds. It's really difficult at times, but I try to push these limits. And with each video, I kind of think about, okay, so I've done this and that. What what else in the piano that I can make sound of and make a good use of and be part of the song in a you know elegant way or in every every of these arrangements I try to find something. It could be just one sound. Like for Beauty, it was I think I think the first time I tried to use the, the distortion pedal and also percussions and everything. There's always one more element. And until I run out of elements to explore, I'm going to keep doing these things. You had an interesting effect, since we're talking about different elements uh, in your cover of Attention, that gives us this sort of post-Drake drowned, muted sound, a lovely post-techno feel on that bass line. Yeah, and I I think it was uh, do-it-your-own-technique, because I wanted to make a kick drum, but I didn't didn't know I could just buy this thing and, and play the kick drum on this machine. So instead, you know, I I think I borrowed from my uncle, who's a percussionist, one of these pedals, and we taped some soft pads or something attached with a duct tape to the body of the piano. And so I would hit the body of the the upright with the kick, which was a really awesome sound, actually. your africa cover is the ultimate it's just a bowl full of texture there's so much happening i love the song to death like i really love basically anything uh, you know from toto has such a powerful happy uplifting uh, spirit and you know when i do the live concerts i think it's one of my favorite songs to play because it's just so much fun i can never get bored of playing it it's just so much fun 
I wonder when you play the covers for the album, are there a lot of overdubs? And if so, how do you handle that in live performance? I have my uh, loop station with me. As much as I can do with the loop station live, I would do it. Okay. But sometimes, especially, you know, with the percussion, it would be overdubbed with the sounds that were previously mixed to pop a little bit more because it would be impossible to to mix everything on the spot for the sound engineer because it's just impossible because there's so much uh, mixing and effects involved. So there has to be some uh, tracks that support what's happening live. Let's talk a bit about your originals. I really love the Fibonacci song, and I really love the Loop song. Um, And I'd like to focus in on those because I think those two tracks are a bit related for me in that the Fibonacci song sounds to my ear new age in the best of ways, a throwback in some way to the the high water mark of the Wyndham Hill label in the United States, but also this very universal new piano sound. Could you talk to me about the Fibonacci song? Yeah, that's probably the oldest, oldest of my compositions that are on the album. It's actually, I think I composed it around t- t- 2008 or something, and it was for one of my exams. For composition, uh, for, for a composition class, and then I use the same piece to audition at Berkeley in Boston. And so the way I was obsessed with the, the Fibonacci sequence, trying to to bring mathematics and and music kind of together, and uh, I was really impressed by the Fibonacci ratio. And so I was trying to find ways how to to make music out of it. And actually, now that you say it. The, about the sound of Fibonacci song. That was possibly my sound at the time. And I, I would improvise so many things and it would all sound just like Fibonacci, actually. I mean, something similar to it. And now that you brought it up, I kind of miss those, <laughs> those times. I wish I could improvise more. bet you could you could come back to that if you wanted to yeah because what you said it's it's not very definitive in a way of harmony like there's no you you can't just say okay it's one four five but it's it's something uh yeah i've never heard it put it that way that you said this new age uh it's interesting yeah, there's a modal quality, right, to that song. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, exactly. It doesn't lock you in. Yeah. Let's move to the loop song. Not as new age as the Fibonacci song, but built with layered loops. A little bit of a Coldplay feel in the best of ways. Tell me about this trick. 
It's one of the most recent ones. It's pretty much all songs. It came about some sort of improvisations, possibly late at night when I'm bored and can't sleep. I always loved the idea of making strong musical statements that are repeated and kind of catchy and and it just feels good. I love the idea to create music that you can just listen on loop, basically, and, and it gives you comfort. And it doesn't have to be complicated, but it's something that really interests me in general. In loop song, I think it's one of those, you know, manifestation of, of wanting to create something like this. It's very easy, basically, you know, you have layer one and you just, you know, start to improvise something and, oh, oh well, it sounds nice. So you record that, it's, I don't know, eight bars or four bars and put it on Pro Tools or whatever and put it on loop and you just, uh, you know, what could go with this basic, very basic idea of music, uh, this short uh, period, you just start to improvise more and more. And when you have like two, up to two, three, four layers, you start to, okay, so now you have the main ideas. How do you build a song for it? A song that goes for three, four minutes and it's not boring and it develops. So you start with the very basic and you build it up and then there's something you know like a drop <laughs> and then you start to build something else which is i believe it's it's uh, maybe right after one minute or something when i played all four or five loops in the beginning and then it stops and you start to build something else and now it comes up uh, some sort of piano percussion and, and a new melody and something else and that that builds up too so there's, there's a second plus it builds builds but it's it's much shorter this time and then comes another drop and then the for the third time you put everything together and that that's what's amazing to me and that's how that's how actually africa works because i have a small section there that is kind of original it's you know it's like a that breakdown like section. A, yeah, that breakdown break bridge section or whatever. of that is that you build up something and then you just make one plus one equals two you put those two things together that you that you already proposed uh, those very uh, two different uh, build-ups and you put it together and and it has to sound something like wow <laughs> so that's the trick of doing those loops and making those arrangements there's two completely different sections if you throw them together, it has to sound even more epic. And that's how, that's how African loop song, uh, for me, it's, it's very similar in that way. Sure. I, we think of these as techno strategies, but of course, they're also very old classical strategies. These ideas of disparate A and B sections coming together surprisingly well in a final build. Yeah. And it's, it's, very, uh, it's really simple. 
but <laughs> you can mess around for ages to get these things right. But it's so much fun. Like uh, it's it's a great way of creating music that you know connects with people. So we've all heard this myth of oh yeah, nowadays people are actually growing their followers on YouTube before releasing an album. But you're a guy who has actually done that. Your YouTube channel, it's 25 or 26 videos, but some of them have millions and millions of views. And you put all these out before putting out your album, which is unconventional, but we are being told in the 21st century is becoming more conventional. But my question to you is, how did you do this? How were you able, I don't want to say to build something from nothing, but how did you build this following online? I think it was really organic. And uh, I don't want to sound like there's some myth behind it. Of course, there's some strategic planning and some decisions not to go onto the wrong direction because it's very easy. It's been amazing and, and uh, to, to see how everything develops and the, the whole process of like a snowball effect, I guess. The more followers you gain, I guess you have the next time you're supposed to have more surface to send out your message or your music. So it's a, it's a really interesting way of growing. I think it's an all time rule that I don't do things that I don't want to. And I only do things that I would love to because that's, that's the, I think the only way to go. And sometimes people think that there's like a, <laughs> a huge team working on this uh, uh, thing, but it's actually two of us, me and uh, my manager, Sebastian. From the beginning, we've been working together what kind of videos to make and of course going along with the flow like seeing what's working and when whatnot all, all the time being genuine and uh true to true to the art and not uh, do things for the sake of just popularity or whatever and always quality quality over quantity that's a forever rule and and also things change so much drastically in terms of social media it's really hard actually to keep up with everything because it's changing so fast, you know, algorithms, this and that, and how to uh, engage people and, and whatever. You could hire, I guess, uh, social media strategists, whomever, but it all comes down to, to being genuine and uh, making quality content, I think, which is really, really important. If you see the, the videos on YouTube, most of them are not edited videos. And that was really important for us. It feels very natural and something, something that is, is more live and more connected to the, to, the, to the viewer, actually. When you edit something to, I mean, really uh, go crazy with editing, you know, people know that oh, of course, you know, you can do anything when you edit the video. You can sell whatever you want, but... It becomes less authentic in a way. Yeah, but if you can do it in one take, that's that's a different level, I think. I think you're right, and I hadn't thought about that because, of course, you could have just overdubbed 15 different tracks on, <laughs> on YouTube, of you, you doing 15 different edits and lots of flashy camera angles, but then we don't get the we don't get the sense that you're sitting down and playing the piano. Yeah, 
Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Peter, thank you. Thank you for talking with me today. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. been listening to Soundboard, the Steinway and Sons podcast on artistry and craftsmanship. We heard clips from Bad, Beat It, Attention, the Fibonacci song, the Loop song, and Africa, all from Peter Benz's album, The Awesome Piano, available wherever you stream your music from the Steinway and Sons label. Our intro and outro music is Philip Glass's Mad Rush, performed on a Steinway Model M by me, Ben Fanan, Editor-in-Chief at ListenMusicCulture.com. Question for the podcast? Message me on Facebook at Soundboard. Thank you for listening.